Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear Nancy Wilson's talk, Fruitfulness in Marriage, from her audio collection titled Women in Marriage. If you'd like to hear the rest of the talks, you can find them on the Canon app. Download it today from your app store of choice and subscribe. All right, today is fruitfulness. And as I look around the room, I'm in the grandma category with 15 grandchildren, one due in April, which will make the 15. So I'm beyond childbearing years, obviously, but I'm still very much in the midst of fruitfulness uh, in terms of just cheering on my children as they have children. And then uh, quite a few of you are unmarried, and so I want you to feel like you can file this away for future reference. And those of us in my age group, you know, we still need to think right thoughts about fruitfulness, even if we're not in that zone of having children. So I want to have the right perspective about it for my own children and my grandchildren, as well as for my sisters in the community, just to encourage one another. And those of you who are right in the midst of it all, quite a few of you in that category also, you can use some encouragement as well. So. Whatever the scripture says is always good for all of us. We'll find some way to apply it. And we certainly just want to think correctly about this. I think that's really important as women, that we're just thinking biblically. We're not just conforming with the world or conforming with what we hear in the Christian community. We want to know that it's really rooted in God's word. So with that in mind, let's just press into this. God works in and through families. That's the way he has designed the world, and aren't we grateful for that? There's lots of different scriptures. I'm just going to give you a couple. From Genesis 12:3, God says to Abraham, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jeremiah 31, verse 1 says, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. So again, God works in families. He makes his covenant with individuals and with their descendants. So he thinks of us in terms of our families and our people. First John 3 1 says, Behold the manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. So as Christian people, we are in God's family. He's our Father. We're his children. So even there we have the family of God. So when we meet together as Christians, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, so we have a family connection to God. So families are something God invented. It's his design feature, and it's good. From the very beginning, he commanded fruitfulness. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. So this is to Adam and Eve, but that be fruitful and multiply. And I tell you, with just three children and 15 grandchildren, I see the multiplication at work. <laughs> it's, it really has surprised us and how quickly it's gone from just, I remember when we first started celebrating a Saturday night Sabbath meal together and Becca was newly married. So we had the three kids and Ben and Doug and me. And there we were. It seems now so funny because we can barely fit now, and it's a very large, unwieldy group in many in many ways, and it's wonderful. 
So he commanded fruitfulness. So this is God's plan for marriage. It's for marriage to be fruitful. Seed produces fruit. And God doesn't just want fruit. He wants godly fruit. He's not interested in quantity, but quality. It's not either or. But he's interested in not just how many descendants we can produce, but how many godly fruit. Malachi 2.15 says... Did not he make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. This is in section where he is saying that divorce is not right and the man that leaves his wife is not going to be blessed. But it says here, what was God seeking? He wanted godly offspring. That's what he wants from marriage. Godly offspring. This can be the normal expectation for the Christian couple. I've heard of, I've never seen this, I've heard of in some marriage vows, some, I don't know if it's a denominational thing or what, but where part of the wedding vow is where the wife promises to have as many children as is physically possible. And I believe that this is, this is going beyond what is written. It's, it is. It's not in the scripture where women have to promise to do that. We should love children, and we should love God's perspective on the family and children, and be into kids and into husbands. It's a good thing. But to mandate that is going beyond what God has commanded. So we are to have his attitude about kids and about family, but we oughtn't bind one another's consciences that way, where scripture hasn't. We're going to talk a little bit about birth control in a little bit. When it comes to what other couples are doing, we need to mind our own business. Now, I'm assuming maybe you unmarried girls haven't encountered this, unless you have a friend who you've been out and about with and she's pregnant. Because even the clerks, you know, at the cash registers want to know if this is your last one, how many you're planning to have. You know, it's very invasive. And, you know, just lots of questions. And um, my kids have joked before about coming up with their childbearing brochure, you know. (laughs) Our childbearing plans. To hand out to whomever, you know. So we ought to be sensitive to this, that it really is between a husband and wife. It truly is. And if they want to share with other people, you know, that's their business, of course. It's not prohibited. But we ought to be delicate and sensitive about asking too many questions. It is surprising. And I think particularly if you have other children with you, because my kids have all been in this, childbearing stage for the last 10 years just a lot of questions like one two how many are you going to have this is your last isn't it you know and really putting mothers on the spot to have a good answer I think unmarried women get a lot of so what are you going to do when you graduate from college or what do you you know from everybody and they feel the same way like they should have their little brochure of their future plans to hand out I don't think any of this is malicious. I think it's mostly thoughtless. So we ought to be careful about that. And if we're thinking like Christians and we think fruitfulness is good, then we ought not to be raising our eyebrows, you know, like you're having another one. Now, in our community, you may think it's unnecessary for me to say this because we do have lots of kids and we've got 
large families, and we love that. And there's a lot of, I think, mutual support and encouragement. But those women with the big families, I think more than anyone, can really feel the appreciation for some privacy <laughs> as well as some encouragement. Way to go. Way to go. Not every woman is called to have a large family. And large, I used to think five was large. I don't anymore. I think maybe eight and on up is large. You know, your perspective changes as you see large families. It just depends. But at any rate, we need to be sensitive and think, you know, this is between couples. Other questions women can get into, and we aren't going to go there today. I'll just mention it in passing, but just getting into the whole, well, how are you going to birth your child? The hows and expressing our opinions there too freely when we haven't been asked and giving unsolicited advice. We just need to be courteous to one another. And unless we're asked our opinion to just behave, <laughs> to just behave and not be too quick to give our opinion. Sometimes God withholds children for his own good purposes. And we shouldn't just presume that nine months after the wedding there will be a child on the premises. I mean, you know, sometimes that happens. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes he has just different plans. I remember being with a friend and we ran into a mutual friend. I happened to know that the mutual friend had been praying for years for children, finally had conceived and had one after much prayer. And the friend I was with didn't know the backstory and just said, you know, two is better. You know, like, you better get on with it. You know, and I wished I had a sock, you know, to <laughs> stuff in it. But, um, probably best I didn't but I'm just saying she was just she had good intentions she thought she needed to say something about how good two is better than one and but I knew that was if anything it was just going to be uncomfortable and not everyone wants to go into their whole backstory some people are happy to but not everybody wants to do that for God's own good purpose sometimes he withholds children altogether or he withholds them for a time we just don't have this in our hands it's a mystery it's a mystery and so I encourage women who are eager to conceive and God hasn't sent children well first thing I say well why don't you go get a medical workup I mean you know maybe it's something so simple uh, maybe it's, it's something very easily corrected and then certainly consider adoption. And I know adoption can be very expensive, but so is life. And so are kids. But adoption is a very positive good, especially when it's undertaken as a means of fruitfulness, of hospitality. You know, it, what is bringing children home? Whether you gave birth to yourself or that you've adopted that hospitality with a capital H. So these are all things that we should encourage, we should understand. I've also known childless couples to realize that they maybe are going to be called to be fruitful in other areas, other ways they'll be fruitful for the kingdom of God. It could be hospitality in other ways. It could be they're called to the mission field. You know, there's many different ways of service. It doesn't have to be anything that glamorous as the mission field. I'm not saying every childless couple had better head off. 
to the mission field. No. But there may be other ways to be fruitful. That's all I'm saying. And we shouldn't assume there's only one way to be fruitful, and that's by having children or by having a certain number of children. It's in God's hands. It is totally in his hands. Children are from the Lord. They're not a result of our plans. God plans each child. That's the other question. Is this one planned? Or is this one a surprise? And, you know, it's just awkward, isn't it? You say, well, God planned this one from before the foundations of the earth. That'll throw them, right? (laughs) But I have seen, over the years, I've seen some people who have said, well, we're going to get married, and then we're going to plan to have a child this month. They, They... you know, have it all strategized, and then we're going to wait so long, then we'll have the next one. And, you know, sometimes God just gives them exactly the way they mapped it out. Other times he doesn't. I don't know why, but I'm just saying we should be humble before the Lord and obviously lay all of our plans out before him and just say, well, Lord, we would love to have children in your good time, and we're trusting you for that. And approaching it with humility and gratitude and not assuming we can take it in our own hands. Sometimes, sometimes it's funny how it happens sometimes that way, other times it doesn't. Either way, each child is planned by God. And each one should be received, obviously, with humility and gratitude and joy. Children are a reward, a blessing, scripture says. A couple of psalms, we sing these a lot. You know these, but I'm going to read them anyway. Psalm 127. Verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. It's very obviously a very positive picture of children. Children are fruit of the womb. They're a reward. And they are like weapons in the hand of a warrior. Because the man who can stand at the gate and speak to his enemies when he's got all of his sons standing there with him has a real advantage. It's true. It's a good thing. I remember my mother-in-law saying that she had told my father-in-law something like, you know, he's going to have to get himself a new quiver here pretty soon because (laughs) she got started pretty late in having children in her 30s. That's not so late today, maybe, as it was in her day. Women joke about the quiver, like this quiver is about to give out. And I will just say that our capacities are different. It's really true. It's not every quiver that can hold the same number of arrows, or it's going to even have the opportunity to have so many. Here's uh, Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So many positive images in this psalm. First of all, there's this happiness, this blessedness to those who fear God, who are walking according to his ways. It's just there's a connection to blessing and obedience. When you are working hard and you get to eat the fruit of your labor, it's a blessing. It's going well with you. Your wife is like this fruitful vine, it says, in the heart of the house. 
and the kids are like these little olive plants. So there's just a lot of positive imagery there. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. And seeing your children's children is a good thing. It's a, a tremendous blessing. And I know that firsthand. I can say, yes, it is a blessing. It is good to see God's faithfulness to generations. And to just get a glimpse of that is a great privilege and blessing that you can't even uh, imagine. This picture of children around a table, I just want to mention before we press on, how central the table is to the blessing of fruitfulness and blessing of children, especially in our modern era where so many people don't sit down together as a family. I grew up in a home where we sat on every night around the table, just like clockwork. We always sat down together for dinner, and then our children grew up. I mean, we always sat down together every night for dinner around the table. That's where all the action was. That was the happening place. That's where all the family conversation took place, was around that dinner table. And there's no substitute for that. And we are really being sort of countercultural today when we do that. It was assumed in a prior generation everybody sat around the table. But I've heard it. I haven't checked to see if this is true. I haven't looked around online or anything. But the dining room tables are not being even produced like they used to be because of the demand. And dining rooms, who needs a dining room anymore? because we don't sit down together. Everybody grabs their food and heads off to different places. I remember reading an article in a women's magazine years ago. It was looking for ways to connect with your kids. Like, here's some good ideas. Once or twice a week, sit down together around a table. Like, this is wading in from, you know, the shallow end. Like, we're not going to be too radical. Let's just try it once or twice a week. And we can laugh, but it's really true in a society that is barren, in many ways, uh, the, the table, no one knows what it's for, really. Put flowers on, I guess, or a candle. But it was just suggesting, you know, it was describing this modern home. And I've never seen one of these really like this. But it was describing it in this magazine of all the kids picking up their menu, you know, and everybody ordering in their own food and sitting in front of their own TVs in their own rooms. You know, that seems really weird. I don't think that's the norm here in small town America, but we could still see some of that. So just for you all to realize how important it is, sometimes I tell the unmarried women when I get a chance, if you're living with a group of girls in an apartment, sit down together, eat together. And I find surprisingly the contact I've had with the unmarried people in our congregation, the men do that more than the women do. The unmarried men actually cook and sit down and eat together more than the women do. And I don't know why, particularly. haven't figured that out. But they just tend to do that. So I remember when I was living with a group of girls, we never sat down together. Everybody just made their own meal. It never occurred to us to actually sit down. But for roommates, it's a very positive thing to sit down together and eat together, break bread together, talk discuss things. At our table, when our kids were growing up, the teenagers, those years and everything, we just got so much done at the dinner table. And I could say, okay, save that and we'll bring it up at the dinner table. You know, and when your dad's here, we'll bring that up at the dinner table. So it was a very big blessing. Back to kids as a reward and a blessing. Children are blessed, certainly in our homes when we are living in a way we should be. Of course, we want to be a blessing to our children. They are a blessing from God to us also, a tremendous 
blessing in many ways, but they amplify who we are. I'm sure I learned this from my in-laws sitting in on their classes on marriage. But when you get married, it's like God amplifies. He plugs it into the amplifier and turns the volume up a little bit. And so all that you are comes out a little more clearly, a little louder. So if you're already a selfish person, just get married, and it's going to be amplified and going to be louder. And then if you have a child, that's going to really crank it up another notch because we will either become less selfish or more selfish with children right? We'll either be really put upon and put out that there's so much trouble or we're going to be laying ourselves out for them. And obviously, as Christian women, we want to lay ourselves out for our children and live in a sacrificial manner, my life for yours, and bring them up that way. And then the older they get, there's more of a mutual, mutual laying ourselves out for one another. But they amplify who we are. So having children is either going to show us how very selfish we are, which will lead to more selflessness, repentance and selflessness, or it will just drive us into more and more self-centered living. And you see that again in our culture, pushing the kids away, sending them off to daycare or whatever, not being bothered with them. Fruitfulness involves more than just childbearing, of course, but the child rearing and bringing them up. This is not a talk about mothering. It's about fruitfulness. So I'm just going to hit a few things in, as we just go by. First, of course, after having the children, you've got to teach them. You have to teach them everything, right? Everything they learn. They learn by imitation. They learn from mom and dad and siblings. So the homeschooling begins the moment after they're born. I mean, you just start teaching them. So there are different methods that God will honor. I just say homeschooling because really all parents are homeschoolers. They're teaching their kids at home. But at some point they may enroll them in a school, certainly. And there's lots of different methods of schooling that God will honor. The one that he will not honor is neglect. Of just neglecting your kids or saying, well, they'll pick this up by themselves. I don't have time for this. They'll get it later on their own. Most kids just don't teach themselves to read and write and so forth. <laughs> they have to be taught, but they also have to be taught how to think about everything. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. This requires a lot of oversight and wisdom. So they're not going to learn by themselves. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief of his mother. So education is costly. It's a big investment of time and resources. But it's part of what you're signing up for when you are wanting to become parents is teaching your children to be faithful and just teaching them basic education, rearing them up to be good learners. The other thing that comes with child rearing is being a godly example to your kids. A righteous man walks in integrity. His children are blessed after him. That's Proverbs 27. So earlier when I said fruitfulness, is God's not just interested in quantity like just give me a lot of kids I don't care if they're uneducated and ungodly of course it's not true he cares about these things we want to give him godly offspring that's going to require a godly example at home and those of you who are not yet moms be thinking about that how would you like to have someone little imitating everything you do and it's a good time to think about 
what kind of example you are, whether you're a mom, a grandma, or unmarried at this point. Doug has used this example before when talking about dads, and I think it's a very potent example. He said, if you have a dad with a secret porn problem, okay, and nobody knows about it, he's still giving covenantal permission to his sons to do the same thing. There's something about the way a father behaves that even if his kids don't know about it, that is granting permission. It's so interesting how often that happens. I've thought about that in terms of, okay, so what kinds of things could I indulge as a sinful human being that would be granting my granddaughter's permission to do the same thing? And I thought before, particularly if I've been getting anxious for something or fearful, and thought, is that what I want my granddaughters to do? Is to be fearful and anxious? No, of course not. So stop it. Don't do that. So we should consider what kind of example we're being, even if no one else knows the kinds of sin we might be indulging in. Certainly mothers, if you're indulging anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts, you're giving your daughters permission to do the same thing. So take that to heart. You want to be a godly example. We want our children to be blessed after us and not inherit a bunch of sins directly from us. We're all sinners. We all inherited it from Adam on. So none of us is going to achieve the perfect model status, of course, but we should be striving to be a good model for our kids and not be ashamed to say, do what I do, okay? Follow me. I'm the leader here. Follow me. Let's do it together. Fruitfulness includes being a godly example, and certainly fruitfulness includes just providing for our children's needs, whether they be physical needs. We don't want to neglect their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs. They're just these little sponges that require a lot of us as mothers. And so we want to provide for those needs as much as we can by the grace of God. Pour it on. Proverbs 27:23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. I like this verse. How are your flocks doing? You know, your little flock may just be two or three. It may be much larger than that. But it's your flock. How are they doing? Do you know how each one is doing? And are you attending to them? Attending to their needs? Now, as grandmas... You know, we don't have the same responsibilities that mothers do. But we can still be supportive and encouraging and be a blessing within the realm of, I guess, our opportunities. And we certainly don't have that primary responsibility. And that's, again, that's a whole other topic. But providing, providing. First Timothy 5.8 says, if you aren't taking care of, this is a summary, if you're not taking care of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. Okay? You're bad. You should be taking care of your kids, providing for them. And obviously this is speaking to fathers primarily as far as providing for their households. Certainly moms have a part in this depending on circumstances. And then of course there's discipline, teaching and discipline and admonition. It's not just teaching them to do it to obey the standard. It's teaching them to love the standard. My husband said this a lot, and I so appreciate this. You're failing as parents if you're just getting your kids to obey the standard. You want them to love it. You want them to love what you're imparting. This is the way we do it at our house, and we want them to love the fact that that's the way we do it at our house. 
that's going to require more of parents than just getting sheer obedience. Just want them to really appreciate it and be grateful for what they're getting. I love it and make it their own. The Bible has a long-term view of maturity. You know, generations take a long time. Mothers are a very essential link between ancestors and descendants. And so often women sort of apologize for their desire to be moms. Have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I just want to be a mom. I, I don't want a career. I just want to be a mom. As though that's nothing. Like, excuse me, everybody, for having such a low standard. It's like, hello? <laughs> don't you understand how important this calling is? Like, you're a very essential link between generations and that your calling and your job is huge and essential and far more important than we realize as women. And I'm not saying we should be arrogant about who we are and the job God's given us, but we oughtn't demean it just because the world does. The world tends to demean it. We're on a different page. We have a different perspective. Generations take a long time. God is looking at this for the long term. You're not in this just for a week or two. And so bringing up children is a long, hard work. Babies are really cute, but maturity is the goal. It's like planting a little tree. The little sapling is really cute, but what are we wanting? We want to see the big tree. We're not wanting to say, oh, it's so cute. I hope it doesn't grow. Like, no. Actually, we're looking forward to when it's just this big, sturdy tree. So as moms, we want to think about the long term. The Bible's view on women and marriage and mothering has very little in common with the world's perspective on these things. The Proverbs woman, you can read that over and over and over and get something new each time. But she looks on all of her hard work with real pleasure and she's reaping a harvest of good things after a lot of hard work and a lot of sowing obedient faithfulness when you don't feel like it. I think a mother's calling is hard to even describe and Proverbs does a good job of beginning at all the different things that women have their hands in in the home and making the home something that is nurturing that is like an oasis out in the desert and making it a place that children love to be in, can't wait to be in, want to bring other people to. And so much of this lies in the wife and the mother's hands. She can bring this about. So we ought to have a good view of this calling of fruitfulness. Again, if you're in a home where there are no children and God hasn't brought children, there's still ways that you will certainly make that place a haven and a refuge and a sweet place to be that is attractive for your friends and relatives and so forth. When the world becomes belligerent to large families, and they have been for a long time, but I think it's becoming more intense. I just saw on the cover of a magazine, in fact, at the grocery store, something about, what's their names, the family? Duggar. Duggar, is that it? And it just said, how many children are too many? Like, should the state step in and start regulating how many children? Some of this antagonism, I think, is guilt. Some of it is envy. Some of it is just blindness. Okay? I know we live in a culture that is so guilt-ridden over abortion. There are millions and millions of women who've had abortions. And certainly some of them have received forgiveness from God. Many of them have received forgiveness. Many of them 
are burdened with a lot of guilt, not to mention the physicians who are performing those abortions. There's just so much guilt, and that's not the only guilt in our culture. There's a lot of heavy guilt laying on our people. Sometimes when I've been at the mall with one of my girls with one of the babies, you know, you get different reactions. There's so many of them right now. We don't do the mall a lot with a lot of the kids. You know, you don't see me strolling up and down the mall too much with all the children. But once in a while, we get out with one or two of them. But um, I just can remember noticing, particularly Mother's Weekend here, Mother's Weekend, where, have you ever been to the mall at Mother's Weekend? All the moms are here with their daughters from U of I, and the place is really packed out. And so I can remember being there with my daughter, and she had one of her babies. And it was so interesting, the reactions, because women tune into babies. We just do, don't we? We just do. And we would either get the women looking and smiling and say, oh, you know, how cute. Or the very steely look past, ignore. And then you sometimes get the one I described earlier, it's just the hostility of, I can't believe. I have to tell you this one funny story. So two Easter's ago, Rachel, our youngest, was big pregnant with the twins, I believe. She was big pregnant. Anyway, it's hard to keep track, but I know it was two Easter's ago because her husband was playing with the kids, the other two, in the living room, and they were playing some game with a little wiffle ball, and he had that play broom. And he hit it, and the end of the broom flew off, the little toy broom. And she was nurse. No, she had the babies. That's right. She wasn't pregnant. She had the babies. She was nursing two infants <laughs> at once on the couch. And the top of the little toy broom handle came and clocked her right in the eye. So she got a shiner like nobody's business. And I remember her saying, well, Mom, it doesn't much matter what kind of Easter outfit I got this year because I got a black eye for Easter. And, of course, her husband felt awful. I mean, you know, it was terrible because she couldn't put her hand up. She was just relieved didn't hit the babies. I mean, really and truly, that was, and he felt bad. But she said, going to the mall with a big black eye and two babies. It was pretty tough. It was pretty tough. And it's a good thing she has such a great sense of humor because she said she got some real looks. She wore sunglasses a lot. But at any rate, I'm just saying that there's so much guilt in our culture that sometimes being out with my one of my girls and the babies or whatever, just picking up on the different reactions is really revealing. And I think a lot of it is guilt and women just shutting things out of their mind and they don't want to see a child and you can see why they don't want to see a baby others they're warm and they love babies and you just see that aspect of their femininity hasn't been destroyed some of that's just blindness it's just the way the world is but I think the best answer a best answer a Christian woman can have is just a happy well-adjusted family just there's no answer to that you've got happy kids there's no way to answer that. Do you see what I mean? When we went over to see the Merkels last year in England, it may have been the year before, but anyway, we went over and we had gone to, Doug was doing a conference, and I took the five kids, the five Merkel kids, and walked into the little nearby village. We took turns 
with the kids so each of us could listen. Anyway, I took him in to the little village and found a little tea shop. So I let's get out of here. And it was a lovely walk. It was absolutely beautiful. And we went into this little tea shop. And of course, everybody's like, oh my word, five children. But we got a table. And I told him how, you know, you've got to be golden <laughs> because everyone's going to be watching. And they're used to that. They were. They were. They were just fabulous. And they each ordered. No one wanted tea. They all wanted Coca-Cola <laughs> and cake. And we ate. And everybody just kept staring at us. And then finally, this lady said, "Are all these children yours?" And I said, "Well, they're all my grandchildren." And this other lady at another table said, "I figured they couldn't be yours because they're behaving too well for you to be their mother." <laughs> I said, well, if they weren't already well behaved for their mother, I would not be bringing them here. I mean, but they were just lovely. That's the best answer. That was it right there. And so they got used to, particularly being in Europe, the people being shocked at, you know, more than one child or any children. You don't really see many children. But that is the best answer. If you don't have to come up with a big, complicated answer, if you just have happy children who are well behaved, that is the best defense for what you're doing and don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated by it. Laugh it off as much as is possible. Finally, I'm just going to wrap up with a few, call them motherly comments if you want, grandmotherly comments. This has been a series about marriage. So I know we've just been talking about women here and pregnancy and children. Of course, your husband has a big part of this. And those of you who are unmarried ought to know your husband's views on these things before you're married children and birth control and so forth you know what are his you don't want to be surprised like oh I didn't know that about you I would say just a couple of things I put in this motherly advice category birth control is not forbidden in the Bible it isn't and certainly there are kinds of birth control that would be unlawful if they take the life of a little fertilized egg well we have no business doing that it's not for us to do that. The child is made in the image of God and we're not to interfere with that. But I would just say this, to beware of the pill. And the reason I say this, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist and I don't know about all the different kinds, so I'm not getting into all that. But the reason I'm saying beware of it, be careful of it, is because it can set you up for regret later. This is how it happens. And I, you know, I've talked to enough girls where this has been their story. That's why I bring this up. They were on the pill for a few years or whatever. Then they went off the pill and they couldn't conceive. Now, it may not even be related to the pill. I don't know. I'm not the doctor. I would have no idea. But the problem with it is it sets them up for regret because they think, oh, you know, maybe it was the pill. Maybe if I hadn't been on the pill. And if they hadn't been on the pill and they were just using some other form of birth control or they were just saying, you know, we're just going to have children when God sends them, they're just not that same regret setup. And so I feel bad for them when they're in this situation. So I know women who have been on the pill, then they go off, they get pregnant, no problem. I know it happens all the time. But I also know women who have been on the pill, then they're ready to have babies, and they just can't. And it takes years for them to get back adjusted Anyway, just be aware of that. I'm not saying it's a sin at all. That's why I put it in the category of motherly 
comments. I think if it is somehow destroying a fertilized egg, then yes, it's unlawful. If it's a pill that does that, but that's where I say, I don't know, I'm not the scientist, I don't know. But just be careful that you don't jump into something because someone says, oh yeah, I'll be fine. You just don't know. You just don't know. And you'd rather say, you know, I don't know why God hasn't sent babies because we have not done anything we need to repent of or be sorry for or not sure about. So just beware of that. The other thing I would say, the other motherly comment here, don't make any long-term permanent decisions regarding your fertility when you're still young and your family's young. And maybe you just had a baby and you're very tired. You know, just don't be hasty. Because the same thing, I've run into enough women who are regretting. And why do you think they have all these reversals, whatever? Yes, because so many people have regrets and wish, ah, oh, we were a little too hasty. So I just say, take your time, be wise, be careful, don't be hasty in some of those decisions. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So as you're trusting God, as you're navigating through these things, you know, be talking to your husband. Make decisions as a couple. I remember times when I would say, okay, now, honey, remind me again why we're doing this, you know, because it just was hard. Right now was a hard time or something. And so I say, now, why are we doing this again? You know, just wanting to be on the same page. And I think women particularly, if we're the ones, it's our bodies that we're having these children and, and nursing these babies and so forth, we can lose our perspective. And so we need to be just leaning on our husbands, saying now, walk me through that one more time. You know, what is it we're doing again? Don't be afraid to do that. Be content with what God has called you to. Grow in grace. Flourish where you are, in your little vineyard at your house, at your table, whatever size it is. Be patient and flexible. And ask God to bless you. Don't be presumptuous. You don't know what God has in store for you. So be humble as you walk with Him. Sometimes you can assume a lot of things. Like, well, we've had two or three babies, so God must be planning to give us the same rate the rest of my life, which will mean, you know, however many dozen. You know, not necessarily. He works in each case very uniquely. But we want to acknowledge Him as the Creator. He is the one who blesses us with children. And then, just to close, that wise woman in Proverbs, she's building her house over time. It's a lifelong process. It's not a weekend, throw the house together. So be patient. Be patient and expect to have to work for a long time. And there will be great blessing and benefit from it. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. That talk was from Nancy Wilson's audio collection titled Women in Marriage. Find it today on the Canon app.